Welcome to Four Quarter Lives, a podcast exploring the profound impact of longer, healthier, and more engaged lives, not only for ourselves and our couples, but also for companies and countries. I'm Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, and on this week's Four Quarter Lives, I talk with Lindsay Simpson, founder and CEO of 55 Redefined. She's on a mission to get both more individuals and more companies longevity ready, prepared for the rise of older workers. Many consulting firms will be emerging to help with this shift, but Lindsay is definitely one of the early movers. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you, Aviva. Delighted to be here. You have a consulting company focused entirely on this issue of working longer, longevity and aging. And really, my first question is, where are you finding that companies are on the issue of longevity? A recent podcast interviewee that I had on a little while ago, Alistair McQueen from insurance company Aviva, his estimate was maybe one in 20 companies have this on their agenda. Would you make the same estimate? I use the analogy of climbing a mountain, and I would say that the vast majority of companies are at base camp. So I was using Alistair's one in 20. I'd say one in 20 are about a quarter of the way up the mountain. But I haven't seen anybody yet that's even halfway towards being fully age inclusive or really understanding this topic across their business in the same way as they might understand gender or race or other accesses of intersectionality. Yeah, very interesting. I always get the feeling that longevity is where gender was when I started in on gender issues 20 years ago. And so it's this time to catch up. And you have a tagline I like very much, which is if you don't have a longevity strategy, you don't have a growth strategy. Yeah, exactly. What do you mean by that? You mentioned consulting and consulting is about 20 to 30 percent of our business. And it's generally one of the areas that we, along with doing a data diagnostic, you know, consulting to help people understand the topic is when we then lead to before our our more platform and digital products and services are adopted. But across that consulting element, what we find is that people make the mistake sometimes of thinking that age is a diversity topic or it is the problem of HR to go and solve. And in fact, what we educate leaders across the business is that they don't have an age strategy, they don't have a growth strategy. Because when you look at how the working age population is shrinking by 25% over the next 25 years, whilst at the same time our over 60s population grows at over 40%, then they have to understand that mega trend of an aging population on their business. And we use the three C's. So we ask them to think of it through colleague, customer and company. So the obvious leap is obviously colleagues. So how do we embrace older workers? How do we have and support an aging workforce? But often companies forget what that means for their customers. So it means that their customers are aging at exactly the same rate. So the products and services that they want that business to produce are changing. The way that they want them to interact by their customer services are changing. And that customer lens and the marketing, you know, the attitudes and preferences of today's 50s and 60 year olds are absolutely nothing like their parents' generation and are nothing like actually how they are being presented in the media, in marketing and advertising. And then the company perspective really looks around their strategy around age as a topic of ESG. So how do you have the S? So this is a big social demographic change 
but how you could create sustainable workforces of the future, sustainable skills and talent pipelines. And that all comes into embracing age and particularly looking at their reskill agenda within their business. We're on very parallel pushes to try and make this a more strategic, top leadership involved issue and priority, which I'm finding quite challenging. I don't know about you, Lindsay. I'd love to know. What I keep hearing is, especially in the corporate world, the first road in seems to be a call out of ageism and a demand to have this on the DNI agenda. I assume you're not agreeing with this slant. I'm not, actually. I mean, don't get me wrong, ageism is an issue and it's one that we battle against. That's part of the, I suppose, the positive social impact of everything that we do is that we will reduce ageism in every format it applies. But I'm a capitalist business leader, so I come very much with my feet in the camp of you put your trust in God, but everybody else must bring data. So show me the data. Show me that embracing older workers is actually good business. Show me the business outcomes. And and that's where we start. So we typically see that that businesses that embrace an older worker demographic have a number of very tangible business benefits. The first is that they typically will reduce their attrition, particularly in their high volume areas or would be historically lower level. So customer services, branch networks, frontline stores, etc. So if you have an older demographic there, you will reduce your attrition. Attrition generally centers around the age 20 to 29 age bracket. Likewise, you'll reduce your absenteeism. Worker over 50 is 200% less likely to take a day off work sick than a worker under 30. And we can empirically prove this with billions of data points that have been gathered by health and triage companies across massive global corporates. We also know that there's going to be better customer outcomes. So if you mirror match customers, and that could be the most two obvious directions are customer services. So if I'm ringing a contact center to make a claim on my health insurance or tell my bank that I'm in financial difficulty or ring my utilities company to tell them that I'm reporting a bereavement, do I want to speak to somebody with life experience that understands where I'm coming from and can deal with the call in a mature and professional manner? Or do I want to deal with someone who's clearly reading from a script and he's going to ask me at the end of the call to have a good day. And the same applies in terms of marketing. Marketing and advertising are typically functions that are generally under 30 is their average age demographic. Generally male too. Well, and 75% of the wealth and spend is coming from the 50 to 70-year-old demographic. So politely, what can a 28-year-old do to design a a marketing campaign that's going to appeal to a 55-year-old And the answer is they can't. They can't put themselves in their shoes. So until you have a complete blend of ages in each of these functions and mirroring that customer, then you won't get those better customer outcomes. And the list goes on, Aviva. You know, I've just called out kind of three there, but we also see improved employee happiness. So happiness is a human thing, which goes in a U-shaped where generally your lowest point in your early to mid 40s and then you come out in your 50s as your kind of happiness level and you continue to get more happy. It seems kind of overwhelming, doesn't it, when you talk among people who are aware of this issue, that the business benefits are huge, that it's not just a talent issue, it's a customer and sales issue, and that it does seem to be, we're going to take a few years to try and pull it away from being 
underestimated and misframed as an additional sort of diversity dimension and pull it back up to a leadership priority. So I know that you launched 55 Redefined or Life Redefined as a brand is more globally in 2021 with big ambitions. I love your ambitions, Lindsay. But just to pause, what got you interested in this whole area of aging and longevity since you haven't even hit Q3 quite yet? I haven't. No, I've just turned 45 in the last week, actually, in making this recording. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Coming towards the horizon of Q2. I am. And certainly I set myself the mission in my early 40s that by the time I was 50 years old, I would have made a significant dent on ageism globally, but more importantly, would have been able to prove that we'd improved the work aspects for over 25 million over 50s by the time I hit 50. So there is a very personal thing to this about selfishly, when I get to 50, I want the world to be a different place. But what got me all started in this was my previous business, a company called The Curve Group, which is a HR and recruitment outsourcer. I led that business for 12 years. Within our recruitment arms, we saw ageism every day of the week. Every brief was the up and coming talent and someone moldable, shapeable, not at the peak of their career. We're not the 58-year-old white male that's perfect for the job, but doesn't fit their diversity criteria. And what happened about four years ago was there was a definite shift in demand. So had I been launching this business five years ago, I don't think we'd have any success whatsoever. I think it was too soon. But about four years ago, things started to change. What was the four years? Well, it started life in the banking sector, actually, with two areas. So the fintech industry and the high street retail banks in the UK. And so RBS, NatWest, as they're now called in the UK, one of the top four UK banks, they had been cast a FCA regulated review of work they'd completed in the 1990s. And they therefore needed bankers from the 1990s to come and complete that work. They couldn't find any of their own teams. They weren't allowed to hire alumni workers because they would recognize the names in the reports. And they were just failing to find anybody. Every LinkedIn profile said retired. And this population were typically in their early 60s by this point. And so they contacted me because they knew that I'm a banker by background. I obviously understood the world of recruitment. So just how do we find these people? They're just missing. They're not on job boards. They're not applying to roles. We can't find them. They are contentedly golfing in the exactly. back yeah. end of their country retreats. Yeah, exactly. And I just literally started ringing a few. I've got my old Barclays mobile from the 1990s, the same number <laughs> that I've carried with me for 25 odd years. I just rang ex-colleagues saying, I know you're retired. I know we've not spoken in over 10 years, but do you want to come and work for me? Do you want to come and do a six-month contract? This is the work. I'll pay you a day rate. And in eight weeks, I hired 400 people out of retirement. It was an almost one-in-one hit ratio of who we spoke to, wanted to return to work. But the real seed of this was all of that population, that particular population could afford to remain retired. So this was not a financial pressure issue. This wasn't about affordability. But without fail, they all said that they deeply regretted retiring. What they thought they wanted and what they ended up with were two very different things. And by the time they'd found... How long did that realisation take them? Is it a year, two years until they realised that this is really a pretty boring alternative to the (laughs) life they had? Exactly. We call it the rainbow of happiness. And the end of that rainbow generally lies between 12 and 18 months. That's how long it takes to have the lay-in, recharge the batteries, have the long holiday, do up your house 
pick up a hobby. And you're quite right. At the end of that process, the level of boredom and invisibility and lack of purpose and realisation that they are not their parents. They don't dress like their parents. They don't act. They're healthier. They're wealthier. And they have a lot more living to do and that they've withdrawn from such a massive aspect of their life so early in their life was a huge regret. So that was the turning point. You saved 400 people from irrelevance. Well, and fast forward four years later and 250 of those people, you know, long after that project has ended, are working full time for NatWest. So not only did they do that piece of work, but they've gone back into full time employment. So the reality is you talk about these four quarter lives. And I believe very firmly that the only way that you can sustain this hundred year life is through periods of sabbatical and breaks and recharging and reskilling rather yep. than this obsession with let's work 40 years really hard and then do nothing. To get totally burned out by 40 and then dribble our way to the finishing line. <laughs> Absolutely. And you started the whole project with a jobs board for the 50 plus. So tell us a little bit what your own growth strategy was and what all of the different departments that the company now does yeah. and wants to do. Of course. Well, it started with that very concept. So I mentioned about NatWest. At the same time, the fintech industry was kicking off. And in those very young tech companies, you had a lot of tech, but not a lot of fin. So there wasn't a lot of financial expertise and credit and risk in those areas. And so they would find that they'd develop these great products and then they try and plug them into HSBC and wonder why they can't work because they're still powered by 1960s technologies and green screens. And they would suddenly have this demand for older technologists. And so there was certainly this missing workplace. There was definitely just no marketplace for over 50s candidates to meet those employers that genuinely wanted to tap into their experience, but weren't going to waste their time. They weren't doing it as a tick box exercise. They genuinely wanted to see applicants from that age group. So that was where it started. And obviously in doing so, it kind of sprung out in both directions. Because that was a marketplace for both employers and candidates, what we then found by talking to both of those groups of individuals is when we were talking to candidates over 50, they were saying, look, it's great that you're helping us on the work front. But quite frankly, there's this whole world of life that we're trying to navigate. What's our purpose right now? Do we reskill? How do we access opportunities? Can I start a business? I'd just love to see other people doing new and different things because that's not really covered in the media. And so the concept of life redefined. So how do we redefine this new life stage, your Q3, your quarter, third and quarter, as you would call it, Aviva? Now, how do we support people with this is the art of the possible and this is a brand new life stage that, quite frankly, you guys are pioneer in having to understand how to navigate your way through it because you were the first generation to receive that gift of better nutrition and health. So that was where Life Redefined started to come about. And that's now a platform. At the time of recording this, we have over 120,000 people a month that are using that platform globally to just look at our redefiners and people that are doing extraordinary things post 50 and get inspiration from that through to accessing training and support and completely free of charge. That's kind of like our philanthropic, we give back piece. But on the other side of the fence were all of these employers that they were saying, well, it's great that we can access your job board, 
but it's only going to have an impact if when that person arrives in our business, they're not going to bounce out. So what do we do to support them and how do we become age inclusive and how do we think about this topic and embrace it more fully? And so what became very clear quite early on, and that business became work redefined, which is our employer's B2B brand, was actually they needed innovations and they needed solutions across every aspect of the employee journey. So it wasn't just around how do I attract over 50s to do niche projects. It was around how do I treat over 50s as a hidden talent pool for every bit of our business? How do I retain my team so that they don't retire in their 60s when I need them to work another 10 years on and pass those legacy skills down to the next generation of people coming through? And how do I more proactively encourage reskilling and skills augmentation to allow for the fact that we have different needs in our business going forward. And so it started in that business with a accreditation. So how do we support companies to become age inclusive accredited? What's the charter of commitments they're going to make about their over 50s workforce? And off the back of that has sprung a whole ream of product solutions now that really just focus in exclusively on this demographic. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because all these different countries are starting to link retirement ages to life expectancy ages, and they're incrementally going up all over the place. And so really, we're, we're beginning to see that we're going to work the 20, 25 years after this magic age of 50 that you've identified. And there's so much change to be done. Your head spins a little bit when you see the gap between today's mindsets And I really like the way you've organized your firm around these parallel challenges of getting individuals to wake up about how to manage their own lives and also companies to wake up to this massive demographic that is looking for much friendlier places to keep growing and developing and working. So three things I want you to recommend on both of those sides. What are the top three things you recommend companies do to launch this longevity strategy you recommend? The first one is know your data. So we have done age diversity diagnostics now for a range of huge multinationals who run in the financial services sector from AXA to Barclays to Veolia, who are a waste management company, what's become very clear to us is no company in any sector is looking at their data through the lens of age. They might be looking at length of service, but that's a completely different identifier to age. So knowing what happens to your population when they hit 50, (laughs) they really do overlap and understanding the intersectionality. So when you look over 50, is it predominantly male or is it female? What is the sentiment to continue to work? What happens to pay and reward? What happens to learning and development, specifically at that age point? I would definitely say we're doing a short data exercise, not gathering new data, but just looking at your own data, but through the eyes of an over 50s worker, generally creates some real light bulb moments for every organisation we work with. The second piece is around providing then insight and action. So this is a topic that people do not understand. This is a topic that they are not going to get educated on by their governments because all of the governments with a welfare society are conflicted that if they shout about it too loud, everyone will realise that pensions and the social welfare system is not affordable when you add in 30 healthy years of life expectancy. The systems are completely broke and they're they about are, to explode. Yep. They are completely broken. And so you're not going to get public education on the topic of life expectancy and longevity. And what does that mean? So I do believe it is a company's purpose to 
inform and educate their teams around this. And as I say, help them understand that through the lens of colleague, customer and company and come up with some very clear action plans. How are we going to improve our marketing to over 50s? How are we going to improve our HR support of an over 50s workforce? How are we going to make sure that our frontline roles are as generationally mixed with five generations as our senior roles might be leaning towards our older demographic? All of those things. And then the very final thing, which is a completely free thing to do, but I don't see, again, anybody without a bit of a nudge and a prompt doing it, is just look at their business through the eyes of an over 50s human. Take a look at your own website. What does it tell you? Is it just young faces? Is it mixed? If I look at your careers pages, if I look at your adverts, if I look at your internal intranet sites, you know, it's very what does quick it, to see. Absolutely. It gives you a very quick barometer that if you're not switched into that demographic, you can suddenly see how you can feel isolated being in that age group and not feeling that this is clearly where the company's getting to. So I hear three things, right? Your recommendations to company is measure it, get a handle of your own numbers, then get it on the agenda with an educated and aligned leadership team. And finally, a bit of empathy. Look through the eyes of a different demographic if you yourself are under 50. What you look and sound like with a few clicks of a mouse, you can usually tell. Yeah. Okay, so that's what companies should do. That seems pretty clear. It will take a few years probably to get this kind of thing going, but that's very clear. What about individuals? What are the top three things you recommend individuals to do? And when do you think they should start preparing and managing for Q3? I'll start with the when first and then the what. So the when for me, I don't think it's too soon to ever start thinking about what this stage of your life looks like. And the more we educate everybody at every age group that this is going to be their life, they will stop themselves discriminating against their future selves. Yep. But realistically, right now, I think if you're in your 40s and beyond, you really need to start be giving this some serious thought. And then the you're three showing things, away, Lindsay. You started it. Yeah, before. I am. You should yeah, all get on your ballgame. Yep. And it is, it is one of those things, you know, people often ask me, you know, why are you so obsessed with this age group when you're not in this age group? And it's like, because to make change for me in that age group, I have to do it now. And You're well on your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The three things I would definitely recommend to individuals. The first is you must accept that everything has gone before you is not now applicable to you. So what your parents did at your age, you know, what your friends that may be older than you did, what society expects you to do in this age group no longer applies. There is no roadmap. And so when you accept that and you accept that sometimes we are our own worst enemy and our own limiting factor. In fact, there was a great study that recently reported that shows that you knock on average eight years off your life if you hold ageist beliefs about yourself. Eight years of life just by believing that you can't do things or that you shouldn't wear that outfit or you shouldn't have your hair cut like that or that you can't possibly retrain because you're not very good at this, that and the other. These are misconceptions and they hold you back. The second thing I would ask people to really get their head around is believe me when I tell you that work is good. So we have a false association with work as being bad in Western society. We demonize it as if we're being controlled by someone else. We're slaves to a paycheck. I can factually state that you will age healthier, both physically and mentally, if you remain at work for longer. 
In fact, the longer that you can That's really a really good point to stress. That's so underknown, isn't it? When all the research on retirement is so dire that how quickly people age and die as soon as they stop working. It is, um, and it is correlated with the support of Open University. We've looked globally at all of the academic and scientific research on the topic, and you can evidentially prove that your physical and your mental health improves by remaining in what I would call purposeful activity. Yeah. So that can be work, it can, which could be paid or voluntary, but the second activity would be learning new skills. So it's not doing crosswords, it's not doing Sudokus because you're not learning, you're not creating new neurons, you're just applying knowledge you already know, but where you're absolutely learning something new and pushing your brain to develop new neurons, you can age healthier. And believe me when I say, we started this conversation talking about those 400 people I unretired. They would not have believed me if five years ago I told them that they shouldn't retire. They had wall charts that were crossing off the days till they no longer had to be at work and could just do what they wanted to do. It was the holy grail. But the stories that they and thousands of others tell me It's no fun going to a restaurant on a Wednesday lunchtime just because you can. It's no fun going on holiday when you no longer need or feel you've earned a holiday. It's no fun lying in bed at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning, having done the Times crossword, read your six thousand emails and thinking, what shall I do today? And knowing that you've got a long week stretching out in front of you. That's <laughs> You're a very dire fortune. It is. But equally, what I am not saying is that we then become slaves to work and we do the same thing forever and a day or that we're just working full time. What I'm saying is there has to be now a happy blend of a 10 year tail off into some form of retirement where you ease down and you ease up in certain aspects of your life and you take time in and you lean in and then you lean out again. And likewise, where if you're bored doing the work that you're doing, so sometimes the problem with work is the type of work that we're doing, then do something completely different, completely reskill, start again. Imagine you are 18 years old and go at it again and age is no limit. So that would be the second thing. And then the third thing is plan financially to live at least 100 years. Even if you think that you don't want to work, even if you think that you don't need the money and you are very comfortable, then when you start looking at what that number looks like, for a hundred year life and thinking what you might want to do with all of that time off and see the world and travel and therefore spend lots of money. You know, actually, the more ways that you can keep a level of income sustained through your later years, the happier you are going to have that final quarter Q4 of your life. This too seems limpidly clear. What I'm hearing for the lessons for individuals, it's you are not too young to start planning for this 100-year life, but don't look around for role models. You're going to have to be a pioneer, and our generation is going to invent what that looks like. And let's rebrand work, work as good, because retirement is definitely not good for you. And in order to be able to combine all that plan financially that you are going to live to be 100, which a lot of people still can't imagine they will do. It is so hard to imagine those future selves aging out past 100. Okay, so very clear lessons for individuals, very clear lessons for companies. You've devoted years to this. What's next for Life Redefined? You currently focus on the UK. What's the growth potential for this topic and your company internationally? I know you are looking abroad. What's next? 
Yeah, well, we're already working internationally, actually. So the demand from Life Redefined, which is our consumer platform, so of those 120 or thousand or so users, 60% of them are in the US and 40% are across Europe. So that's been without us doing any form of advertising in the US, which just shows us that there is a pull for the same type of inspirational content and solutions and navigating what is my mission, what is my purpose in this phase of life. So as a platform business, we can be anywhere in the world and serve anywhere in the world. And so that's very simple. This is one of those topics that is everywhere, every company, every country, every age group. Yes. And on the work side of things, there isn't a country that isn't facing an aging population. So we assume that this is just the issue of Western society, that this is the UK or US or Japan and Singapore. But it's not because you can't unwind medical advances. So if we look at India, for example, and we might say, well, that's a very young country by way of developing population. Well, within the next 20 years in India, over 20% of their population will be aged over 60. So all that's happening in the developing world is they are shortcutting what took us 100 years in Europe and doing it in 20 to 30 years. Which is much much harder harder. to adapt to. Exactly. So we're all on this journey. And so what we have found is that there are a number of great, I think, consumer publications helping individuals around the world with them navigating their own journey and what does that look like in each market but we have found that we're the only commercial business that's working with particularly large corporates global multinationals around how do they make systemic change to their business and how do they educate tens of hundreds of thousands of leaders to the topic so that work is seeing us all over so we're already now in latin america in the u.s all across europe what's interesting to me is everybody thinks their country and their industry is different Always. They're not. Don't get me wrong. There are big skews within industries in terms of what the focus areas are. So if I look at two of our age inclusive companies, for example, at opposite ends of the spectrum. So the Yolia, which is a waste management company through to say Dentsu as a global advertising company. There's like 30 years difference between those organizations in terms of their average age. Yeah. But they all presenting the same challenges. So they all need to understand how do they attract better into this age group? How do they retain better? How do they think strategically around supporting this cohort to reskill? And so completely different industries, but but they're kind of all on the same journey. I'm already spending half my week, half my month, half my year in the US and Europe. So I flip between the two. I definitely see that our growth will be led by large corporates because they just help set the tone for the rest of the industry and they bring down the price point of everything for everybody else that is in that middle SME layer. So yeah, we are already, I would say, an international company. What's going to be different about us as a post-pandemic company rather than a pre-pandemic is that that doesn't mean that we need to have offices in every country and every world because actually there's so much that we deliver on a platform and digital basis now that those geographic problems are no longer barriers. Yeah, because it's so incredibly parallel journeys in every country. So absolutely. So just to wrap up this fascinating wander through longevity, I want to return just to you, Lindsay, personally, as somebody not yet in Q3, having done all this work and now seeing all the issues so clearly. How are you planning for Q3 and Q4? What would you ideally like to see yourself doing? And you've already had, I think 
half a dozen careers at least. <laughs> what are your next couple of quarters going to look like if you have a crystal ball? Yeah, and you're right. This is my eighth business and I had a corporate career before that in financial services. For me, my passion is around serving underserved customers. That's been, whether it's a recruitment business, whether it's a restaurant business, it's really around how do I support underserved customers? And that's going to remain as a thread. I'm not an inventor of either, so I'm not going to be creating the next iPhone. And I don't believe that entrepreneurs all have to be inventors. No, they need to be problem solvers. You're a problem. Exactly that. I'm a problem solver. I'm like, show me where the problems are. And I will be really honest on this podcast. I keep a little book around with me of terrible industries or terrible examples I see that require shaking up. And two alone, I can cite just because of my business experiences and personal experiences in the UK environment, the funeral industry. And having had the disappointing task of organising a funeral not so long ago, it felt like I was taking a step back in time by about 35 years with the level of paper and for business if ever there was one. Wow. I mean, just terrible, terrible. It's almost as if they're going to go, well, the customer's not going to be coming back for a return <laughs> visit. So we really don't need to worry about it. It's not the family and the friends. So that needs to shake up. And, and waste management. These things are not sexy, but you know, having run a restaurant and bar business as well, it is impossible from a commercial operator to get bins collected on a day as agreed in any one week. Three years, not a single bin collection through any provider. And so I just go around the world collecting these little things that so <laughs> your um, little black book. My little black book problems of, to of, be of problems that yeah, it's exactly out of problems. They will be you know. endless. You, yeah, it will be. You're and not going to dream yourself out of a job ever. That's, no, uh, and it's not a coincidence that Richard Branson is the face of our life redefined business. He is an inspiration to me. At 72, he's just launched their cruises business. He just climbed Mount Kenya. He's about to go and save a school of dolphins somewhere that are endangered. And he believes that you can mix business and family and life for as long as you possibly can. And that's my personal belief. So I never want to say I'm not one of these people that's saying I want to work full time and I'm only all about work and screw my family and screw my friends. That's not me. But I do believe that a blend in everything is happiness. And so for me, if I can have that blend into my 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and hopefully live the tell to be able to say, I told you all when we hit hundreds and this is why this was so important that we planned for it. Well, then that will be success for me. Lindsay, I love that maybe we can't look up at our parents or around us for role models, but we can certainly look to you. Thank you so much for all the energy and vision that you're pouring into this rebranding old longevity and the second half of life. Brilliant. Thank you for having me on the show. (laughs) (laughs) My wishes for continued success. See you again soon. See you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. For more thinking about the impact of our four quarter lives, you can read my column at Forbes and subscribe to my Elderberries newsletter on Substack. Let's design lives that aren't just longer, but better.